welcome to another episode of Cinema Rabbit Trails. Today, I'm your host, it's Jerry, and I'm joined by our regulars, David and Adam. No guests today. You guys can say hi. Hey. <laughs> hi. Because you say we could say hi, not yes, hey. Yes. Oh, sorry. You're excommunicado. All right, <laughs> oh, so um, we watched the movie Secondhand Lions. Uh, if you haven't seen it, highly, highly recommend it. This was one of my all-time favorites growing up. I cannot count how many times I've seen this film, and you guys have seen it before as well, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Uh, don't I, know. I forgot how much I enjoyed this film. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. Same, same. I I think I'm gonna have to list this as probably my, at least in the top two, if not my favorite movie. After having seen it again now. So, mm-hmm. uh, general premise. I'm not gonna give a whole synopsis today, but uh, I definitely recommend you watch the whole movie. But the premise is we have a young boy Walter, who uh, his mother, who is very just generally a terrible mother, uh, is dropping him off with uh, his great uncles who are rumored to have lots of money stashed away after coming out of hiding for 40 years or just having disappeared for 40 years. Um, And Walter's really kind of scared off by these guys, but he has to stay around because his mom leaves and uh, lies to him about all this stuff. And you just the whole story is really about these uncle uh, Walter coming to actually love and appreciate his uncles through a lot of storytelling and figuring out who they are. But then they also really try to call him into manhood. So there's a, a lot of depth going on here and uh, a lot of value. Uh, a lot of great conversations happen in this film and a lot of adventure. So to start off, my first question is um, really how did Walter's uncles call Walter himself into manhood throughout the film? One of the most powerful ways we learn is by example. And you see the way that these are two men who have lived life very fully. Um, Not towards the end of their life, you could say, but going to Africa and the adventures that they had, the choices that they had to make, and just, you know, being men of action. So definitely seeing how these two men interacted, especially with the bar fight with the the, the four young boys, you know, um, Hub is just takes on. He just comes out of the hospital. And he fights four young men, and then afterwards, he's giving him a speech about what it means to be a man. That's pretty intoxicating for a young boy to see. Like, who are you, and how do I get to be like you? So, by example, is what I would say. Hmm. By example, men of action, and you. Yeah, I I would agree with that. He he would. It was by example, but also I don't think the, the I mean clearly even from the beginning the men weren't looking to be an example to any boy <laughs> they were they were quite dismissive of him actually so i it, i think it just i would say yes by example but also just like by the experience i think mm-hmm. just over time as as walter watched garth and hub he just naturally was shaped just by their experience and hearing about the adventures hearing uh about the way garth told the stories and uh by their experiences of even just planting, you know, in the gardens, things like that, of just putting hand to the till and all of that. Yeah, and just do that. It gave them something to aspire to. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And something I think we often underestimate is just the power we have as men to call to the influence we have over those younger, those boys and men younger than us. There's a there's a lot of power we have there that we don't recognize is actually taking place. But in Half throughout the time, even more than that, we don't recognize it. Yeah, true. And I think that's what you see happen here with Hub and Garth, the uncles. Just they don't, like you said, it was more experiential. They actually realized, oh, wait, we actually have a lot of influence here. We need to be careful. Mm-hmm. They, they start actually taking a proactive role as opposed to just an experiential role. So, yeah. And real quick, I have to wonder, this is maybe what we're lacking in our culture today, is we don't have that influence of men 
teaching the younger generation. Mm -hmm. We're looking to friends on Facebook. We're watching people online who are acting like idiots and like, yes, this is the kind of man I want to become, but that's not a good role model. So, Well, and it's even frowned upon. It's where you have the term toxic masculinity come from. This would be a, a very, very clear example of what the culture today would consider toxic masculinity. I want this in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you all who say toxic masculinity is bad. This is real masculinity. It is toxic because we want it, and we only recognize it once we see it. Mm -hmm. So, well, when when people say toxic, usually that's meaning like it's un it's untainable. But I think you have a question that's going to talk about yeah yeah we'll we'll get to that. So, next question is: Was it necessary for Walter to be separated from his mother in order to be called into manhood? And if so, why? Uh, I think maybe it expedited the process for it. <laughs> so I think he, he still would have been, there were qualities in Walter that were already there. And mm-hmm. I think they would have been developed over time, but maybe to a weaker extent. Um, but I think he was called into manhood very quickly because of his experiences with Garth and Hub. So yeah, I don't think it was absolutely necessary, but it mm-hmm. certainly helped. You might be able to answer this. Correct me wrong, Jerry, but uh, you just, you most recently just finished Wild at Heart. And the idea of a man being called from his his mom's going to be there to encourage him to build him up but there's something about when he steps into a manhood there's something it's not his mother mm-hmm. and he needs his dad to be a, it's a different kind of parenting it's a different kind of role in his life so you, it sounds like, like what what would you say John Eldridge from the book would say about that so in the case within the movie my opinion from at least what I what I would actually agree with and I think what John Eldridge would say here too is which if you haven't read it, read Wild at Heart. That is a phenomenal book. Um, he in this case he would say that level of separation was necessary because Walter had no father figure ever, and he only had his mother as both the feminine and masculine role in his life, which wasn't good. Hmm. And it, not to mention it, she was all. a terrible mother. So uh, those two combined, I would say at this point it's necessary. I think hmm. generally speaking, there is a level of separation that has to take place, right. but not at to this degree, but in this case, it was necessary to this degree, mm-hmm. at least for, for a time. But I do agree okay. there would have been sides that, that would have developed over time. Um, one thing, we'll get to the bar fight scene here in a second, but uh, and actually this actually leads into it, but anything you want to add on that? Nope. Okay, so in this, uh, in this bar scene, before this fight breaks out, you have Hub, who just got out of the hospital, by the way. Um, <laughs> the they, best part instead of, of going home, they go straight to a bar, grab, just get a rack of ribs and some beers. and, and Well, it's a restaurant. This, They're yeah. just drinking some, exactly. so it's not like a, a bar bar. It's just, yeah. And so you have these four kind of greaser, you know, young men kind of hopping in. Or I say like older boys because that's really the vibe they give off. They're uh, they're not seventeen, yeah, 20. seventeen to twenty, somewhere in that range. Yeah, uh, old enough to drive. Um, they're all greasers. Have the leather jacket and white T-shirt on. They're all kind of that style. But um, they immediately kind of start bullying, bullying and mocking these older men. Well, one of the comments that Hub makes is before uh, before the fight breaks out and before he really gets into it. Um, he says, like, you boys have been, this is an example of some boys who have been sucking on their mother's teeth so long that they don't know what a real man is, is kind of like the the general summation of what he said. Um, so again, to kind of what we were just talking about, that separation, like they, they were not necessarily just a separation from the mother, but more so that they had been, uh, nurtured, coddled, coddled and nurtured by their mother too long, uh, for too much of time. And there, there wasn't someone who pulled them aside and called them into manhood. Uh, so there's there's a quote kind of right as the fight starts breaking out. 
um, Hub, one of the uncles, who's definitely more the warrior of the two uncles, uh, this is what he says. He he has this man, uh, one of these boys, in a in a deadlock. Sure. Yeah, because the kid asks him, "Who do you think you are?" Yeah, and who then, do you think you are? And then Hub says this. So I'm Hub McCann. I've fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I've led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I've seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I've won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. Now that is... It just did take a moment of silence or oh, something like that. Man. Yeah, it is one of the most amazing quotes that I think has been said. But uh, my question is this. What makes this line or this speech so epically masculine? You know, you can push back on this, but I wouldn't call it strictly masculine. I think it's a, a demonstration of a life well lived and somebody who knows who they are. Hmm. Uh, if you were to turn the question around to them and ask them who they were, I don't think they could really answer with hmm. a solid answer like that. Uh, because after all, they were putting on fronts. So they probably hadn't lived, they hadn't lived much life. You know, they're just a bunch of young guys trying to play up a story in their story. They were trying to be cool with each other and and seem relevant you know hmm. but this is a, a man on the other side who represents someone who just wasn't just trying to stay relevant he actually lived an entire life yeah he didn't have time to stay relevant because he was battling you know he was battling arabs he was battling uh for freeing slaves and there were just so many stories to that yeah. and this is something he was part of and that is that is um self-explanatory think is the word that i'm trying to explain hmm. is he doesn't need to go into detail it's just like this is this happened and that's enough hmm. you know it does it you don't need to try and uh fabricate anything yeah. because that's who he was so just in summary that's just it's him knowing who he was that he had a definition for his life uh to men who didn't really have anything better to do than to beat up old men yeah I have comments on that. I don't disagree with any of that, but continue. Your, your turn. Yes. Uh, I would kind of, yeah, I kind of like kind of what Adam said, but I also say it's, to some it's identity. Because he knew, like, I'm Hub McCain, mm -hmm. and this idea, McCann, I always say it wrong. But he knew, he had this identity of himself as being a warrior of some capacity. And this is, you know, because I'm a warrior, I do this. And we're talking about manhood here. Because I'm a man, I do this. I act responsibly. I take ownership. I'm... You know, I, I have choices I have to make. I have to be disciplined. And these are the sort of, this is, I think, what we're missing in our culture today, in a culture where even gender is so fluid. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? It's like, you don't even, you can be whatever you want to be, but that's like, but there's a calling to, you know, you are a man, you are a woman. And that gives you a certain level of identity and structure. Like, this is how I ought to act. Now, I can be my own person within that, you know, in the, within that parameter, but, um, he just saw himself in this way and therefore he lived in a life that was full because he was active. He was engaged. And that's what, um, I love. He talks about the, the speech that every boy needs to hear about being a man. There are certain qualities that the older I'm getting, I'm recognizing of what defines what a man is because there are certain things that like, just because you're an adult, it doesn't mean you're a man or a woman. You can be very, as his mother was very irresponsible, very self-centered and very childlike. She's just saying like, you know, he says he loves me. It's like, okay, you're looking for something here, but you're acting like a, a kid here. Yeah. You need to take ownership that 
you know, it's, this is not going to happen like a perfect fairy tale. You keep looking for that and you keep putting yourself in jeopardy, your own son in jeopardy because you're trying to find something to satisfy that. So hmm. it's a question of identity. Hmm. Who are you? And when you find that identity, step into it, be that. I agree with both of those completely. I love it. Uh, my only thing is that I think that that structure and that knowing who you are, that, that set of identity is a masculine trait. And I don't mean it as in it only exists in men. Like that should only exist in men. Uh, mas I, I think men have a responsibility to also nurture some of the femininity that is in us. Like there are feminine traits we need to be able to do as well. Like being nurturing and, you know, growth is kind of like nurturing growth in other people is, I think, something of a feminine trait. But that is something we also need to nurture within ourselves. But there's masculinity is more uh, masculine traits are more at um, we have more masculine traits than feminine traits. And vice versa with women. They have more feminine traits than masculine traits, but there are some masculine traits that can exist in women as well. And that's not, that's not a bad thing in any way. That can be a very good thing. But well, I would say that just the quote in general and that knowing who you are, that set of identity, that set of responsibility that you have within yourself, that is a masculine trait. Mm. What do you guys think? I would still give some pushback with that. Okay. Just, be, just because like... You know, I think a woman a woman probably could could have lived a life similar to that. It might have looked a little different. Yeah. But true. I'm saying like the things of like integrity, courage, um, steadfastness, um, those are things where regardless of who you meet, who, who of the if the person has those qualities, those are very attractive qualities. Um, how that's going to look may look more feminine because the woman might approach courage a different in a different way yeah. than a man would. Because um, we we'll talk about feelings all the time and when we're just like Okay, let's just share all of our feelings. And guys are just like, feelings? We we don't talk about those. You know, for the guy that it's might taboo. that might be <laughs> yeah. more courageous for him to talk about courage versus yeah. another situation where, um, you know, he's like the guy's like, yeah, let's go on this uh, awesome hike. And she's like, oh, I don't I don't know if we can do this. And he's like, oh yes, we, I think we can do it. And so he's yeah. lending that you know that version of his courage, which I could you could say maybe more masculine or whatever. But I mean. I would say like those are the traits don't change. Uh, what makes them masculine or more feminine just depends on, I guess, the way they're expressed. Is that? That's that's a fair point. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I certainly yeah. think that there's there is true and exclusive masculinity in the in this quote, specifically out of the adventure side and the loving only one woman. Those, those right. as concepts are certainly exclusive to masculine traits i would say obviously the loving only one woman that is a masculine thing right but loving a woman in general that is a masculine trait mm -hmm. but because to me there's there's a choice in that where the guy's like yeah, yeah. I, I think most women like they want that i just want to have this one exclusive relationship versus guys can be more just by nature mm -hmm. we're more like conquerors yeah. we can you know we can see women as opportunities of just like oh i can have this relationship i can have i can get this out of her but that like she I'm choosing her and her alone and that's it yeah that's I feel like that does have some more masculine integrity to it yeah and so the the sense of adventure is certainly one but going deeper than that the sense of I have been a leader I have been a committed husband really is is the the sense behind that and I have mastered my own self I don't give in to my own selfish impulses mm -hmm. i have mastered myself I that i think that is a very masculine trait that comes out of this quote 
Because that's what he, he, in turn, teaches these men because they have not mastered themselves at all. You even see that just in the nature of the fight. They're, they're fighting clumsily. He's showing them how to hold a knife, how to control that. And he still beats them up even after showing them this. But then in the end, he actually talks to them and say, this is what a man is. And it's distinctly against your own nature. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, But yeah, I do agree so I would Yeah, I would say in this context, I definitely see where that's coming from. Uh, I just think there are there is femininity and masculinity uh, represent I, I guess representations of that. Yeah, in I, both instances. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, that's a I perhaps worded the question poorly because I didn't mean to imply that it is exclusively masculine. Mm-hmm. That is an exclusively yeah, masculine. Thank book. you for that so, clarification. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was also going to so. say if you ever if you ever get a chance to read it, I think it's a grief observed. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about Joy, the woman who uh, he married and she died of cancer. Um, he would talk about praising her for her feminine qualities and she would get so irritated she's like well how or her masculine qualities she's like well how would i have you if i feel if i praise you for your feminine qualities and she really challenged him on that like ideas like are the virtues and the characters Mm. purely masculine purely Mm. feminine are they just there and then we express them in our own masculine way and in our own feminine way Mm. yeah man i need to read that Uh, I, i need to read that too i haven't read that We'll make that a next book together or something. Yeah. But, That'll be good. So just uh, one last question on this quote, and we'll move on. Just out of the whole whole thing, what resonates with you the most from this entire quote? Like, if there was one section of this, like, man, I wish I could say that. What What is that? The tank is definitely a fun thing. Many tanks in the battle. But I think what's a powerful contrast to me is he's giving this amazing speech. Like, I've led thousands of men, horse, you know, anywhere from artillery to horses to tanks, and all of this contrast, I've done all of these things and loved only one woman. Yeah. And there's just something so powerful about all of this. I have all of this adventure under my belt, these things I'm after. But if there's not that one woman, I am, you know, yeah. so much of it just seems to be ash. Yeah. There's something about pursuing, you know, loving that one woman and realizing that it is so demanding of you. Where it's like, you can have the tanks, you can have the battlefields, but I want her. And just that committed relationship, I think there's just something so powerful about that. I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say ditto. <laughs> ditto. <laughs> All right. Ditto. But no, uh, for me, though, I would say, I think the, the end of the quote, definitely, that's who I am. Yes. And that that really establishes everything else because your identity, everything else gathers around that. Like mm-hmm. your identity, You will take your identity through experiences, through the people that you come in contact with. And because of that, I mean, how how wonderful that is that to be freed in knowing who you are, mm. to almost have a, a more defined self yeah. in doing that. Like for me, if if I I know my identity is in Christ, if I know that, then I can take that anywhere. I don't have to be an explorer and continue to fall mm. into into various lifestyles, not really being able to call anywhere my home. Yeah. yeah. And that is distinctly countercultural, especially now. Just you have like you were talking about with the. 9300,000 genders whatever it is uh keep adding more every day it's like okay you can maybe proclaim to be one of these we obviously we can talk about whether or not that's yeah. even possible which i think i know where we'd all fall there but regardless there's a sense of um oh i can just by proclaiming you are this outside of the the genders of male and female that implies you now have the option to proclaim yourself anything else any other day that that comes with that territory, yes. and therefore you will never know who you are because the next day you could feel completely different in who you are. Therefore, you are not free. You are a slave to yourself. You're a slave to your own emotions. So mm-hmm. even though it has that, 
that initial semblance of, oh, you're free to feel whatever you feel and do what you want to do, it's actually enslaving. It's a hard life, yeah. yeah. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry about that. So, going on. Oh, one last thing? Just one last thing. All right. uh, I've said this before, and I it's something I need, I tell myself, I try to remind myself of, but I love, that's a great, just like, that's who I am. Yeah. Your identity precedes your behavior, because what you believe about yourself determines how you will act. I remember listening to a speaker talking about this girl who was just living a very just licentious lifestyle, and he's like, why do you do all this stuff for all these boys up for your attention? And she, her words were, because I'm a dirty girl. And this is what dairy girls do. Hmm. That was her identity, and therefore, that's how she acted. And I think that's the thing about being a man. It's like, this is who you are. How do you act as a result of that? And in my own life, I realized, wow, I have a lot of lies I believe about myself. Hmm. That's made me passive. That's made me fearful. And that's been my identity. I'm like, well, that's who I am, so therefore, I have to act in this way. Hmm. So if you want to change your behavior, you have to have an identity that's different Oh, yeah. I, I'm, this is my identity now. I don't do that anymore. I act like this now. Yeah. Uh, something that Adam and I attend the same church, and something we do is called um, we do regularly is honor time, where we actually take a moment to honor somebody else within a, a smaller group setting. So I'm actually going to apply that here real quick because I want to honor you for saying that. Because while you and I have both resonated with the same thing here. Uh, something that I have often struggled with is uh, seeking an affirmation from women to affirm my masculinity. And with, coming with that has been an idolization of relationships. Mm. Um, and so hearing you say the thing you resonated with most was, that's who I am. It's like the, the final step after the, and loved only one woman. That's, that's where my mm. mind went. But you saying that, it's like, ooh, that's actually, yeah. that, that pings me right in the heart a little <laughs> bit in the conscience because like, yep, there I go again. It's like, that's what I'm after in my own heart. So... Thank you. That is that is a much higher level of masculinity in that in that sector. So, oh, well done. Thank you. I feel honored. So, next question: uh, Why'd they buy a lion? <laughs> well, the philosophy. <laughs> Let's be honest. They were bored, and when we're bored, we do really stupid things. That's fair. That's yeah, fair. So. They, well, they wanted an adventure, and they're thinking, "Hey, think Africa was a fun yep. thing." Let's try to have that again. Yep. <laughs> and then this was not what we ordered. A little uh, late life crisis there. So. Yes. Did you notice Michael Caine even dressed in safari? Yes. <laughs> yes, that was great. They go in all in. And the all music out. and yeah, it, it all changed <laughs> to African textures. Uh, one of the things I do love about this film is that anytime there's kind of like, they're all in this this Texas rural kind of like just pasture land. Like there's nothing really to it. It's very just kind of bleak in uh, it's pretty much the state of Texas. Yeah, it's just it's flat. It's just flat Texas. It just is. But whenever it comes to like whenever one of the uncles is daydreaming and he has a plunger out in the uh, out in the pond acting like a daydream or uh, dreaming uh, sleepwalking that he's sleep. night walking. Thank you. That he is uh, sword, sword fighting. fighting. It'll have these sword sound effects and him like killing people. And then you uh, <laughs> have whenever the lion comes around, it's like all these jungle sounds when it's showing a cornfield and the lion running through it. It's just really hilarious, but it takes you into kind of that fantasy. So it's great. But follow up question. So, um, like, well, was, that, was that a question? <laughs> <laughs> what did the lion symbolize in the film, if anything, to you? I feel like there was a lot of value there, but I'm curious what you guys think. And one thing to add to this, when the moment the lion is is brought about, they open the lid thinking that this lion's going to charge and they're going to hunt it down real quick. Like, this was the whole fantasy that they had behind this. But as soon as they open the this wooden cage that the lion is in, the lion just sits there. 
and they're just really disappointed. And uh, Hub says it's defective. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like there was a lot of value to this. So go ahead. Yes, yes, and. You know, as much as I want to romanticize and make it sound more impactful, I think the only purpose in there was to be a, a parallel to the old men. Ah, uh, yes. 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 Just like like that moment he attacked the guy and, and died, and then they said he was he was a real lion there. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I see now. So it really represented the old men in, in the sense that, so, so in the movie it's just he attacks this man who's attacking Walter, uh, and then the, the lion... Yeah, gets she... excited and dies. Um, but, old. Yeah. but Walter mentioned that, oh, wow, he was just like a real lion in a jungle. It's like he really acted out what his, you might say, his identity was yeah. or what he's known as. So, And that's the way the, the old men went out. But that's I think there's one additional symbol, but well, okay. I want to see if David comes up with it. But yes, I completely agree. Continue. I don't know if this is what you were going to say. I just think it was also parallel to just men without a purpose. Just... Yep just being like this lion and it's just there it's like you could be ferocious in another life but right now this is kind of um pretty sad lion to themselves um yes and actually to to add on to that there was a, a moment later on whenever there's other family members that come to the house and everything visit these these two really just dumb little uh little boys who have a very controlling mother um, they find the lion in the cage and think it's a, a stuffed animal, actually, like a giant, uh, like a taxidermied animal. But they find out it's alive and they freak out and run away. Well, they've broken the cage to get at whatever's in the box and they find out it's the lion, they run off. And the lion, through the, through the now opening in the side of the cage, um, sees the fully grown cornfield. Well, the lion, keep in mind, this lion has never seen a jungle in its entire life. This was like a domestically raised lion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Something that uh, I think Garth actually says this, the, the lion leaps out of the box upon seeing this cornfield, which is a small cornfield, and it runs in. And Garth says it's the closest thing to a jungle it's ever seen. And it's never seen a jungle before. It's like, this isn't a direct quote. This is generalizing what he said. And something he says is that it knows that's where it belongs, even though it's never seen it. And I think even though it's a female lion in this case... I think they chose it to be a female lion because it's kind of like you're seeing all these little effeminate men and boys throughout the film except for Hub and Garth. And even though, the, especially Walter, who's never had a man in his life, he recognizes... One when he sees it. With, yes, and you see that with the lion. It's, it's kind of a foreshadowing of Walter's choice at the end to stay with his uncle. It's like, I've never had this before, and I've never seen it before, but now I know this is where I need to be. This is what actually, this is where I'm actually going to be the lion I am meant to be. So I, so yeah, I, I think that was a wonderful moment. I actually, I it's it's also one of the most hilarious moments in the film. Everything with the lion, but it's just great. Um, all right, so we're gonna wrap it up here in just a second. So one really last uh, question that try to answer as, as shortly as you can. Um, why was Walter more concerned about whether or not his uncle's money was stolen or not, rather than taking it for himself and his mother? Read the question again, I'm sorry. Why was Walter more concerned about whether or not his uncle's money was stolen rather than taking it for himself and his mother? To your last point, Jerry, he's seeing something. He's like, I've never seen this before, but I know it's good and it's real. This this identity of manhood I'm seeing in my two uncles here. And he's wanting to become that. 
And I think that's what's so heartbreaking for him. He's having to figure out, is this real or is this a lie? And I think that's why he's... Yeah. He really could care less if the money gets stolen or not. It's the identity of his two uncles. Are these real men or not? And have I been lied to again? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. completely agree. Mm-hmm. Also, I think he's been... Remember at near the end, I believe, where he was uh, talking to Hub about his past experiences with uh, Jasmine mm-hmm. and the adventure and the story and all of that. But he said... How he, t- he basically said, I'm tired of people lying to me. And I just wonder if that played a part in not stealing money. Because if mm-hmm. he would have stolen money, that would have made more of a lie. He would have mm-hmm. had to lie to others for the reason of stealing that. And he was tired of it. He recognized mm-hmm. that somehow there was a virtue in staying away from that money. And maybe even just from instinct. Because ha- he-, he talked how many people had lied to him through his life. Yeah. So this was almost it almost seemed like a, a, an instinct to run the other way, mm-hmm. maybe. I hadn't thought of that. That's, I, I would repeat that. Hmm. All right. Um, one more question pertaining directly to the film and your thoughts on it. But to you personally, what was the moment that Walter became a man in the movie? You know, I would actually say on the bridge with his mother. Hmm. Like that, even though you can maybe point to some experiences before that, and I'd love to hear from you guys as far as what that might have been. Um, but it seems like this was finally his choice. In fact, you you all, all, all of a sudden it's see symbolic him. symbolic, too. Like yes. he's walking over the bridge. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but also you see that moment of, of him actually speaking to his mother, like mm. not being spoken to. You know, there's a difference there. And him saying, when are you actually going to let me, when are you going to make a choice? Or let me make a choice, I think is, is what he said. Something along right, that. Why, uh, why, don't you let, why don't you finally uh, make a do choice. something that's best for me? Dude, that, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I think that was the, the clear distinction right there. Because he could have easily gone back and, and mm-hmm. done nothing about it. But I think that's where he really established of him looking not only to live with the two men that he loved, but also thinking ahead and being like, this is not the life I want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And making that bold choice. You, know? yeah. so. you did I kind of have two, and they're, they're significant two reasons. One is when he goes up to Hub, because Hub has these night, you know, as he's in sleepwalking, has these, like, memories of Jasmine, this woman that he loved. And I think part of his, um, um, Walter's masculine journey was first asking him what happened to her, because he's been getting all this secondhand information. He's like, no, you've got to ask him. He says, I've got to ask him. So I feel like there was a lot of courage on his part to, like, I need to know this. And he's basically calling Hub to be like, I'm asking you to, I'm holding you accountable. Talk to me. So mm-hmm. I think there was, you know, from man to man in that regard, that was a step. But then the other step was when the guy is telling him, Hey, where's the money at? And he has a choice to make. Does he tell him where the money's at? And they just leave in the, in the night, but he looks at him and he gets this glint in his eye and he says, defend mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. He made a choice, not knowing the consequence there, but he's like, I'm making a choice to defend my uncle's honor, and I don't know what is true just necessarily yet, but I do know the right thing to do, hmm. and I'm making a stand for it. So those are two moments I think were very significant. Yeah. And I do I do agree. I think the bridge was also a very yeah. long-lasting decision as well. I'm glad you said that. I hadn't remembered that part. Yeah, I, yeah. I now remember all that was, especially the adventures that he had already heard up to that point, oh, yeah. that actually spurred him on. You know? Yeah, and that's, and that's it, it called him into that. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is what I want to be, and therefore I'm making these choices as a result yeah. of that. Yeah, and Hub has definitely been the the bigger of the father figures 
uh, between the two uncles, he's definitely the biggest father figure between the two. Um, I mean, you kind of see him. He speaks to Hub first, even at the end when they're saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. And he hugs him first and then goes to Garth, who's been telling him the stories. But Hub is the one who's most frightening. And he's actually very scared to go up to him and actually be honest with him. Um, and so, yes, I agree with you. I think that was certainly the, at least the first moment that um, he really enters, like personally t makes a choice to enter into this task of becoming a man where he actually goes to Hub, wakes him up in his sleepwalkingness. Because uh, he knew there was a oh risk. Oh, yeah, there was a risk. There was a risk with this. But then to, not just the physical risk of, like, he could lash out and hurt me without realizing it, but then also I have to be honest with him and see if he'll be honest back with me. He could potentially hurt me more mm. by refusing to answer this. Um, and then it's just going to leave me in dread. So there's there's a yeah. huge risk on his part there, and I think that's that, that is one of the hardest things in general for sons to be honest with their fathers because fathers naturally are just frightening figures especially good fathers they're even more frightening <laughs> but uh then to actually call them out to be honest with you back it's very difficult but then i actually then i agree with you as far as the moment where i would say yeah walter's a man now is whenever he did that and i would, I would put it in a different context not just extricating himself from his mother's poor influence but proactively making a choice to put himself in an environment that is good for him. Mm -hmm. I think that is a very difficult choice for us as men to say, that is the environment that's, that is best for me. It's not the easiest, but it is the best for me, and I'm going to put myself there. Mm. I think that's a very hard thing to do, and you have to do it in faith. It's, it's believing, it's similar to one of the quotes that he said, it's believing things that uh, are worth believing in. So, yeah. Yes. Um, all right. Final question. We're going to wrap this up. And uh, you guys have had some time to think about this because I told you before we started recording. Mm -hmm. um, if you could choose, what would you want to die doing? Okay. So I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is not uh, anything near daredevilry or anything like that. But... <laughs> Honestly, I would love to die in my seat hearing my own symphony played mm. and leaving people speechless. I think that would be awesome. Just die of a heart attack or something. Preferably not a shot in the head, you know, but just... <laughs> Lincoln style. <laughs> yeah, right. But just like maybe in my, just my ripe old age and just dying of age, you know, just mm, old I age. I like that. And just hearing my symphony being played that way and be like, that is the culmination of my work. That is who you it's are. being presented. Yes. <laughs> it, there's a, Yeah. Dying Not composer. only fruits or yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's great. David, good night. Um, I don't have a specific specific way yet, but I like how I'd like to go. But I do love speaking to people and kind of like this. Um, this man who wrote a book on Alfred Bennett. He just loved sharing stories with people, and. It's not that he was sharing a story with me one day and then he was just gone. I mean, kind of, but I don't know. I would love to just be in an environment where I'm talking to somebody, pouring into somebody, and then one day it's just, I'm gone. But mm. then those the things I've shared with them uh, live on. And that's been very much the case with Alfred, where that was that whole experience with Alfred, he passed away almost a year ago, over a year ago. And it's just so funny how I just reread the book and how those stories are still much a part of me. Mm. And so definitely kind of like with you, Adam, with the music, you leave that behind, you know, what legacy, the older I get, it's like, what legacy am I going to live behind for people? Whether that's money, whether that's an organization, whether that's mm. stories. And so it's not necessarily a moment for me. It's just, I want to pass on everything I, I have to others because it's, 
it's really all I'm here for. It's a gift to give to others. Yes. Mm. You're, you're, you can be a storyteller no That's matter where yes. you go. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. It's cool. Uh, my answer is actually a quote from um, a certain movie. Um, get, go ahead and guess where this is from. And this is just more in the... So I, I, I like the ridiculous stunts and things like that. So this is certainly more of, of my uh, adventurous side wanting to come out. But um, he died in the most macho way possible, jumping out of a plane with 250 pounds of dynamite strapped to his chest while riding a shark straight into the mouth of an active volcano. <laughs> That is my answer. Oh, <laughs> that was my second choice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going for the outlandish, okay, oh, let me yes. get my, I'll get there my brain gear here. I can see, yeah, man, that's what I <laughs> What was that from anyway? Despicable Me Too yeah, is oh, about El Macho. Fighting a shark. Fighting uh, a shark into that's a active so, volcano. So shark's name was Bulldog. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, it was great. So, all right, so with that, we're going to end this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is Cinema Rabbit trails and again the movie is secondhand lions very very much recommend you go watch it especially if you're a young man uh certainly uh would say you watch that it's also very very clean there's no content in it whatsoever that i would say is something you need to watch out for uh, any of you would you guys agree no. yeah other than the bar fight yeah maybe other than the bar Violent fight content but that's yeah no it's uh, there's no it's not. yeah no uh, it's unless very... a few scratches would deter you so yes all right. Which well, in that case, you need to you know, grow up and realize that role, right. role is not from trouble. So it, it beats back into the narrative. Yep, so we're good. Go. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.